Hey, welcome to Life Church. We pray this blesses you and empowers you for your week ahead. We hope you enjoy this message. Wasn't that a special time of worship? Our first Christmas carol together. Oh, this sounds all ready for Christmas. That's why I was sitting there. We got the Christmas elves. We, yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna look there a lot through this. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Who's ready for Christmas, guys? Okay, the correct response on this side is, yes, we can't wait, it's coming. But let's try that again. Who's ready for Christmas? Yeah. Oh, we're getting there, we're getting there. I don't know if you can tell, but I love Christmas, right? I, this is my favorite time of year. Um, I know that I don't look like the Christmas kind of guy, but I just think this is the best season ever, right? Now, notice there's, there's two kinds of people when it comes to Christmas. There are those like me and a lot of my friends, we love it. And then there's those who loathe it. And there's a whole bunch of us in the middle who are just kind of like, I got other things on my mind. It's the 3rd of December. There's like another 22 days until Christmas. We got bigger things to worry about. There's a lot going on. But for us in this place, as the church, the people of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, We're not just celebrating Christmas and the parties and the lights and the food. I love the food. And the gifts. We're celebrating the advent of Jesus. Right? The advent of Jesus. Now, what we're celebrating is the fact, as we've already heard this morning, that God came into this world to seek and to save the lost. That was all of us. And stepping into this season, I think it's so important that we acknowledge that there's a lot of worldly things that come with Christmas. But the focus in the center for each of us is to celebrate this victorious and glorious arrival of the King of Kings, who has come to establish as his kingdom and to subdue his enemies. This is good news for all of us, and it is good news for our world. Advent is really a season of remembering what happened some 2,000 years ago, and not just remembering it, but looking forward to what is still to come. Because you see, when we talk about Advent, about Christmas in this way, we find ourselves in the space between the two advents of Jesus Christ. His first coming and his return. And so as we look back to the birth of this baby, we also look forward to the coming of our King. And that church should get us excited about all that God is doing and all that he has already done. Now, this word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus. It's been celebrated in the church for about 1,800 years 
right? This is not something that we've made up recently. This is an ancient Christian practice. And it's taken from the understanding of Roman emperors who would enter a city in their empire with this military parade. They would come in with this display of glory and power and authority, and it was called the Adventus or the advent of Caesar. And what we did as Christians is we took that term and everything that it carried with it, that it conveyed, and we gave it a new meaning. We saw how when Jesus came into this world, he came as the victorious King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when we talk about Advent Church, we're not just talking about warm, fuzzy feelings and parties and all the things that the world talks about. We're talking about victory. We're talking about what Jesus came to accomplish and what he did achieve. Now with all of that in mind, I wanna start today on this first Sunday of Advent, looking at how the Gospel of Luke tells us about the birth of Jesus. So up on the screen, and if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna turn to Luke chapter one, verses 26 to 38. 12 verses that set up the story, our understanding of Jesus' birth and what is happening as we enter into Advent together. While you turn there, let's bow our heads for a minute and let's pray. Father, as we step into your word this morning, we ask that by your spirit, you will show us the truth of who you are, what you have come into this world to do, and how you are working through us to bring about your glorious kingdom. We pray that you will fill us with faith, renew our strength, and guide us as we seek you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter one, verses 26 to 38. This is what Luke records as he's writing a gospel to explain who Jesus is to us. Now the thing that you gotta remember about reading particularly the gospels, but any biblical text, is that every time we approach a text, we're invited to step into the story and actually see and understand how the people who are in the story are experiencing it. And so this morning, I don't want you just to read something that many of you will be very familiar with. I wanna invite you to step into the story with me and see what this is saying about who Jesus is and what he's come to accomplish. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Jesus' birth in Luke's gospel begins with this message from an angel named Gabriel to Mary, who is Jesus' mother. And we're told that Gabriel visits her in Nazareth, a city in a region called Galilee. Now, there's something that we should know about the geography of where Jesus did his ministry and where he was born. In the northern part of Israel, there was a region called Galilee. In the southern part of Israel, there was a region called Judea. Now, here in the UK, we have a bit of a north-south divide, right? We've all you know, heard the jokes about you know, how tough the northerners are when the wind's blowing and the storms rage. We're reaching for the big coats and the southerners are battening down the hatches and not leaving the house. Multiply that a number of times and you'll get a sense of what the north-south divide in Israel at the time of Jesus was really like. The Judeans who were in the south, where Jerusalem, the capital and the temple was, looked at the Galileans as nothing more than some country folk. They looked at them with this curious mix of envy and disdain. They were envious because there was a lot of fertile farmland in Galilee. So you could make quite a lot of money through agriculture. And so some of the Judean Jews would look to the north with some jealousy because many of them were able to be better off economically. But they also viewed their northern neighbors as a little bit behind the times. There was a large distance between the people in Galilee and the temple, which was the center of Jewish worship. So as understanding of Jewish faith and practice developed, it took a while for those who were further away to keep up with the latest understanding of who God is and how we should worship Him and what's done in church. And so there was kind of this sense of the Judeans looking down at the Galileans. They had a different accent, these Galileans. So when they went to Jerusalem, straight away, they were identified as different. They were culturally more diverse than those in the South. They embraced more Greek culture and practice. And so they were seen as almost departing from their Jewish heritage in a way. And so Gabriel begins his announcement to Mary by going to a place that the Son of God should never have been identified with. There were all kinds of other places that Jesus could have not only come from a family from, but been raised in, because Jesus is gonna be raised in Nazareth. He could have been raised in Jerusalem, where the temple was, and where Herod's palace was, where there were these centers and bastions of authority and influence. It could have been Rome, which was the home of Caesar 
and the heart of the Roman Empire. And yet Gabriel carries God's message to this insignificant young lady from an insignificant place. And in doing so, he shows us something very important about God. We look for significant people in significant places. And very often through our humanity, we overlook God's desire and ability to work where things are insignificant. Jesus does not come from a family of prestige and power and authority. He comes from a family from Nazareth. And just as we see in John's gospel, when Jesus calls his disciples, Philip says to his brother, what good can come from Nazareth? Straight away, the story is filled with good news. God's not looking for those who impress the world. God's not looking for those who have a name. God is looking for those who are faithful. And in Mary, we see how he chooses his people. Because as we learn about Mary's background and heritage coming from this place called Nazareth, we see her response to this bizarre encounter with the angel of the Lord. You would, you would think that perhaps Mary would be overwhelmed, not only by being in the presence of an angel, right, which is itself scary enough, this angel bringing the glory of God right before you, a message from the creator of the universe, but then being told that her entire life is about to change because she is going to conceive a child and she will bring the son of God into this world. She's not even married yet. She's engaged to be married. But imagine what must have gone through her mind. The potential for shame from her family and community. The hurt that she could have faced. And yet she says, according to Luke, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and we see faith in action. You see, Mary shows us not only how we ought to respond to God's call upon our lives, but she challenges us to embrace what God is calling us to. Now, God is calling none of us to carry his son for nine months and bring him into the world and give our lives to raising this precious child. But God is calling each of us to something for his glory and his purpose. And in Mary, we see somebody who didn't say, Lord, wait until I am more significant. Wait until I have studied a bit further. Wait until I've practiced a little more. Wait until I am more qualified. Wait until I'm married. I mean, that would have been the easiest thing in the world. She could have said, well, Lord, hang on a minute. If you wait another year, I'll be married to Joseph, we can pretend it's his kid and we can just raise Jesus, nobody will, will say anything bad about me. But what does she say? I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have spoken. What is your response when God calls you? When he has an, an assignment, 
a task, a ministry for you to step into. Like Mary, will we show faith and step forward. We also learn from Luke in this text that Mary, as I mentioned, is not yet married. She is a virgin. She is pure in her sexuality. Now, this is really important because what Luke is doing is he is explaining to us how Jesus fulfills the criteria to be the Son of God and therefore the Savior of humanity. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied long before Jesus was born that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a child, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And as we're reading the text, what is happening is we are recognizing the prophecies about Jesus, and we're understanding that this is no ordinary baby. This is God come to save his people. So Mary is pure. This is important for the story. She's told that she will conceive a child the name of Jesus, and this is what Gabriel says in Luke's text about Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, before Gabriel came to Mary, he went to somebody else. And he went to Mary's family member named Elizabeth. And he told Elizabeth a similar message, that she would conceive, and she would give birth to a son named John who we know as John the Baptist. And by the time Gabriel comes to Mary, Elizabeth is already six months pregnant, not through divine action, but with her husband, who was a priest. But what's interesting is when you read Luke's gospel, when Gabriel goes to Elizabeth and he says that she is gonna fall pregnant with John, Gabriel says this about John, he will be great before the Lord. When Gabriel goes to Mary and tells her that she is gonna fall pregnant with Jesus, this is what he says. He will be great, full stop. And the distinction that the author, that Luke makes in the story is very intentional because it's supposed to grab our attention and show us that when he starts to talk about Jesus who is to be born, he's talking about somebody who is great full stop, nothing less. There's no caveat to it. He's not great in some people's eyes and, and, and not so great in other people's eyes. He is great because of who he is. And what Luke is doing is he's showing us that Jesus is divine and human. He is sovereign, just as God is sovereign. All powerful and the source of all creation. Are you starting to see how these verses show us the greatest miracle that has taken place in the Bible so far? God himself stepping out of his heavenly realm, coming into his creation that has turned away from him, denied him, abandoned him to save us. Being born as a baby. You see, about 700 years before Jesus was born, 
The great prophet Isaiah said this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That was Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. And now Gabriel in Luke chapter one is announcing to Mary that her son will be great Sovereign, the Son of God. In other words, that He is the fulfillment of everything the people of Israel have been waiting for since the prophets spoke. And Jesus begins to tick these prophetic boxes. When we look back at the birth of Jesus, I'm struck by the significance of His mother, Mary, and His homeland, Galilee. It's significant because by our standards, they are both so insignificant. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, he's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, who Paul will later tell us everything was made through and for, is born to a Galilean mother and will be raised in a Galilean city. God reveals himself in victory in places and ways that we would often discount and overlook. As you're reading the Christmas story, one of the questions that should be coming to the forefront of your mind is what am I seeing that is so insignificant that I cannot fathom God moving in that place or that person? What is it that in my humanity I cannot see the value of, because what good could possibly come from Bradford? What good could come from BD3? What good could come from Yorkshire? There's a lot of Yorkshire people here, that's quite dangerous to say. <laughs> How often does our view of insignificance prevent us from seeing the opportunity for God to move and work? And yet we see in the Christmas story that this God of ours identifies himself with those people and those places that we're so quick to write off because they don't impress us in our humanity. God is in the business of insignificant people and insignificant places. That's the beginning of the story of Jesus' birth. Now, why does it matter? that we know all of that. First, because I spent a long time researching it. <laughs> Secondly, because this really helps us understand why Jesus coming into our world is so important. Martin Luther, who was an incredible church leader and reformer in the 16th century, taught that there are three advents. Remember, advent being that victorious arrival of Christ. He taught that there's actually three. The first is the baby born in the manger. The second is when Jesus comes into our hearts. And the third is when he returns as king. 
Three Advents. Jesus is born in the manger, he comes into our hearts, and he returns as king. When we read today about the first Advent, as believers, as saved people, it speaks to us so powerfully because we know what it means for Jesus to come into this world. We're not just reading a record, we are reading what we have experienced. And for all of us who believe in Jesus, we know the power, the transformation that takes place when Advent happens within us. How his peace surpasses all understanding. How his grace saves us. How his mercy overcomes our darkness. How his healing pieces us back together. And in this Christmas season, we see a world that is overwhelmed with darkness, warfare, anxiety, fear, a world that is lost in sin and in need of a savior. As people of the advent of Christ, who came not just into our world, but into our lives. What is it that we carry this Christmas? How are we going to invite a world that needs Jesus so much to experience not just the baby in the manger, but the Lord who was crucified and rose again? To experience the salvation of a God who has drawn near to us. As we look back and read about the one who is called great and son of the most high, about his eternal kingdom that will never end, we understand who he is, not because it's written down, but because he is present with us today. And we know that what Luke tells us is true. Let's not forget that God calls people and he operates in places not based on our opinion of them, but his divine and perfect plan. The first advent takes place with God choosing to work through the insignificant Mary from an insignificant city. I wonder how much we are going to this season see people and places that we will choose to discount because God can't possibly work through this person. And God can't possibly save somebody like that. This requires us to get real honest about ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but I can get super judgy some days. And I can see people that just seem so far, so lost, so hopeless. God can't possibly move in this person's life. This story from Luke reminds us, we don't get to choose where God moves and we don't get to choose who God calls. We have only got the option to step into the story of his amazing grace. Now remembering that, knowing the power of Jesus' advent in our own lives, his coming into our hearts, 
Who can you invite to step into this story this Christmas and meet the King of Kings? Who needs to know in your world that Jesus is great and the Son of the Most High? Who is he calling into his eternal kingdom through your friendship, your proximity, and your ability to talk about Jesus? We have work to do this Christmas, church. We have a lot of work to do. But we know what happens when we say yes to the one who was born in a manger. Now finally, as I look back at that first advent, I cannot help but look forward to that day that Jesus returns. Advent is something that is victorious and powerful and although Jesus is not physically here with us today, his victory has not ceased to be a reality. We continue to live in the victory that this first advent brought into our world. That when he was born, the kingdom that Gabriel says will never end was inaugurated in a whole new way and we were invited to step into this kingdom. There's a hope that underpins everything about this Christmas time. And that is that not only did Jesus come, but he will return. It's a beautiful opportunity for us to look back at the baby in a manger and look forward to the king who is returning. He's coming back for you and for me and for all who believe. Returning in glory and majesty. And when he does, everything that began on that first Christmas morning will be fulfilled in its entirety. Our salvation, our healing, our restoration, and we will know him perfectly perfectly. This is a time for us to look back and to remember, but to look forward and to hope. To be courageous to push through. The child who was born in humility and obscurity to a mother of no special merit or talent is the coming King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His birth that we celebrate in this time reveals not only who He is, but also how we are to live as we wait for this next Advent. We are to live humbly and faithfully do the work of our God. Wherever He directs us, whoever He sends us to, and however He calls us to, no matter our opinion on the matter. He is the one who calls us. So this Christmas, church, let's look back at the baby born in a manger and give thanks that God came to us. But let's also look at the resurrected Jesus who is in our hearts, who has saved us and given us hope. And let's look forward to the King who is coming back 
and establishing His kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Amen. Let's stand together and let's thank God for His Word. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity to reflect and to remember what You did for us thousands of years ago. And thank You that You are in our hearts and in our lives today. Help us to speak the truth of your good news, your birth, to our neighbors, our city, our colleagues, our friends and our family, to carry this hope that we have because of you into our world that needs it so much. Help us to see you this Christmas time for who you truly are. In your name we pray. Thanks for joining us. We pray you feel encouraged by this word. We would love to hear from you, so why not connect with us via the website at lifechurchhome.com or on our socials at Life Church Home. Have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.